All right, I was uh, driving this actress, and we got stuck at the motel. There was a storm. We couldn't get out. We couldn't get out because of the storm. What happened at the motel? People started dying. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 243 and our movie this week is 2003's Identity starring John Cusack and Ray Liotta and a, a whole host of others. And here to talk with me about it, he had never seen it before, it's Jonathan Bush. Jonathan, how you doing? Oh, hey Travis, how are you? I am quite well. So you hadn't seen this before. No, I had never even heard of it until you mentioned it and said, I've literally been waiting this entire run of the show to watch this <laughs> movie. But everyone I ask, this is a direct quote, I swear. And everyone I ask has seen it. And so you haven't. And so, so here's my chance. And that is, and I said, that okay, is let's true. Go. So oh, I'll I give a little bit of, yeah, I'll give a little bit of my history with this movie. Um, I first saw it, so it came out in 2003. I probably saw it, I don't know, a couple of years later. I remember, uh, I think I picked it up at a rental store. And uh, I just was like, hey, John Cusack, all right, uh, identity sounds interesting. Sure, let's let's check it out and watch it. And I was blown away by it when I first saw it. I just, I really loved the the concept behind it. I'm a sucker for a murder mystery. So they kind of already had me with that as soon as that started to unravel and over the years, it's been one of those smaller movies. Um, cause I can't really call it like a tiny movie, but it's mm. lesser known. Um, and because of that, I kind of champion it as like, Oh no, if you like murder mysteries, if you like thrillers, this is one you should check out. And the director, James Mangold has gone on to do a lot. And we're going to talk about him later. Um, cause he has done a lot of stuff. That was the other selling point for me was it was John Cusack and it was James Mangold because I had seen a couple of his other movies uh, prior to this one. So um, first question I have to ask to you. So you, you hadn't heard of it before. So you sat down to watch it. Um, what was your initial impression? Like, what did you think when the movie, as it was unfolding, were you kind of figuring out where it was going or like sort of what was that? What was that experience? Kinda. Like? Kind of. Um, I think Roger Ebert talked about how it starts out kind of slow and like a little pedestrian, but then it takes a turn. And um, I can I can see that. I kind of, um, I haven't seen it, but in just what I know about it, I kind of compared it in my mind to, um, I don't remember the, the entire name, but the El Royale movie with uh, John Hamm in it, the murder mystery. Oh yeah. Hotel Bad thing. times at the El Royale. Um, yep. Yeah. 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 And uh, like, I knew it wasn't the same, but that kind of, not just because it happened at the motel, but like the serial violence and all that, that's mm -hmm. just kind of where it sat. And so as it went, I just kept kind of, I, I just kind of kept letting it evolve and just kind of settled into it. It wasn't until about like, like about 
halfway through the movie that I really dug in to try to figure out where it was going. I mean, of course, from the start, I was like, okay, where is this going? But like, it was just, you know, it was like, I don't know, it didn't exactly stand out until, like I said, about the, the halfway point, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of, while it's not an adaptation of, it's a bit of a loose retelling of uh, Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Um, yeah. Which they they even reference in the movie. The um, Ginny talks about the you know, the movie where the the ten strangers go to the island and all that. And that's that's that book, and so they mm -hmm. they kind of took that. But what I really liked about what this movie did was it took a murder mystery, it added in some different elements that play with your head at first. So kind of these is it supernatural? Is is everything that's happening mm -hmm. what you think is happening? And then it it took a, a different turn and look, I'm going to say right now, this early in the show, we're going to spoil the movie. So if you haven't yeah, seen it yeah, before, yeah, there's no way around it. You have to yeah. like, just drop it. And there, there's no way to talk about this without spoiling it. So if you haven't seen it before, take, take the chance to watch it. I, it's really worth watching. Um, and then uh, come on back and we'll, we'll continue the conversation with you. But what I loved about it was that twist that, that twist isn't even, I mean, twist is the word, but like, that direction change where now all of a sudden we're going to add in another layer of things, which is we had these mm -hmm. two stories kind of going simultaneously, right? There's the, right. the story of this stay of execution meeting in the middle of the night for a convicted uh, mm -hmm. killer. And then intercut with uh, this group of people at a motel in the middle of nowhere that are stuck there. And then when you figure out and you, and it is revealed to you that, Oh, this is all connected inside the mind of this one person. I was like, that's brilliant because think about how many times movies or shows try to get inside the mind of the killer, right? That's been a really right. popular thing in the last 20 something years, even further than that. And this one does it like literally going inside of the mind of the killer, uh, which I thought was kind of a, it was a fresh, especially the first time I saw it was a very fresh feeling uh, idea. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, especially, the, especially the way they do that, because like, there are like, there kind of, to your point, there are several movies where like that kind of like, where like, it's, it's, it can be kind of depicted that way, but the way, the way, the way Mangold went about it, just it like, that's, that's where it stands out mm -hmm. to me. Absolutely. Because like that feels like they didn't just take a turn. They took like, um, like it was like a double, triple turns out thing going on because like first they talk about the birthdays and how that's all connected. And then he's, he's talking about all the, all his territories and all the people with the last name of Isiana and, um, and yeah. like how, how all of that goes together and you're like, Oh, Oh, so, so we're leaning into the tribal lands. Okay. You know, I, as, I don't know, as long as it's not Cold Creek Manor, I can, I can ride with this and <laughs> like, but it, but they turn that way and then they completely like turn another way. And you're like, wait, what? And just yeah. the way, the way they bend into that was so like, it elevated it to me the way they did. took care with that. 
and and one of the things is so this was written the screenplay was written by a man named michael cooney um who Mm -hmm. prior to this was most known for the horror movie jack frost in 1997 he wrote and directed that and its sequel um okay not not the michael keaton movie no not that one okay Uh, (laughs) and and they're not good like jack frost is not right at all yeah and the sequel not not worse um, so he wrote this, but it's a testament, I think, to it was a pretty. I, I have a feeling like this, like this was a pretty decent script. But when it got into the hands of James Mangold, and he took it and put this cast together and this project together, and I think he elevated it beyond what the script initially was, because there right. obviously there are logical leaps you have to take in order to accept yeah. this movie. Um, but I think that. Mangold is so good at character pieces. I mean, he, uh, I loved his movie. I saw in the theater, Girl Interrupted, which was fantastic. Oh yeah, um, amazing movie. And a couple of years before that, he did one called Copland with uh, Stallone and Ray Liotta and um, Harvey Keitel and all this about a, a sheriff in New Jersey who is in a town with a bunch of corrupt cops. Like they all live there, but they're New York cops. Um, it's a fantastic movie and Mangold is so good with characters and they did such a good job with identity of, all right, we're going to cast all these characters and they're going to be caricatures. They're going to be a little bit overblown for each thing that they are, but they're going to be memorable. And they put, they put the right actors into the right roles and with Mangold's direction and keeping everything small, it all happens at the motel. Even the flashback stuff, like the way the movie opens up with sort of the disjointed time of like, we meet a character and then we quick flashback, get a little bit of backstory about them and then come back to present. All of that Mm -hmm. takes place like on the road leading to the hotel. Right. And so it's all this self-contained small stuff that I liked uh, quite a bit. Um, I, I'm a sucker for sort of that nonlinear storytelling as well. So I kind of liked mm-hmm. where you would see somebody and then you would like flashback. And then, and even with, um, Paris, when we see her, we see the shoe, which flashes back to her. And then mm-hmm. she flashes back to previous to that. Uh, and then we have to come back out of that. It's like an inception layers of stuff that they have to then, you know, pull ourselves out of, I thought was, was kind of fun. Um, and it, and it gives you some hints that some of these characters, uh, might have more hidden than others because we don't get flash. We don't get that for every single character, but it feels like you do. So that, especially Mm -hmm. that first watch, you're just sort of like, oh, okay. All right. And you're not like, you don't consciously think, wait a minute. What about, you know, Ray Liotta? We, he just pulls up and, but by Mm -hmm. that point, the, the pacing of the movie has been going in such a way that like, we don't need that. Right. We've already had right. that moment in the movie and now we're on to, to a different thing. So I kind of liked being able to do that. And I just think that this was uh, the project Mangold did right before he made Walk the Line. So he did his Johnny Cash biopic um, in Walk the Line right after this. Uh, and then he did 310 to Yuma after that. Like, I mean, just great movies all, all around. Yeah. Um, and so I just I, I enjoyed that. And this cast is incredible up and down and Mm -hmm. it basically all takes place at the hotel and in the courthouse and that that one room in the courthouse um did did anybody in the cast outside of because 
I know when I mentioned this movie and you saw Ray Liotta was in it, you'd latched onto him immediately. But yeah, let's 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 table Ray Liotta for just a minute. We're going to sure. get to him. Was there anybody yeah. else in the cast that really stood out to you as like either you were surprised when you saw their name pop up or you saw them pop up on screen or you were just you really enjoyed the performance they gave? Um, let's see. Let me look at this. Because this is a cast um, just full of like amazing people. Yeah, what's his name? Pruitt Taylor Vance. I'm a big fan of The Mentalist, and he was on there at the beginning of season two. Played oh, a right. really good, really good, interesting role um, that you kind of hate while you're watching it. But then at the end of his run, he has like a big, like meaningful kind of redemption moment. Um, mm -hmm. And like, so to see him in this crazy killer role was interesting him and his crazy killabo eyes um but like he he was so like just i especially on the second watch i felt like he really captured something about malcolm which i mean that's what you're supposed to do as an actor but sure. like he like the the way they went back and forth with him and Cusack in in that chair after after the reveal and the yeah. way he just the he seemed I don't know he he just dug into it a certain way and made it so believable that that's what Malcolm was going through mm -hmm. to me yeah um, he is an actor I have I have loved for decades now uh, I yeah. I remember seeing him, he did, uh, like he played in an episode of Highlander way back in the nineties. He was in Mississippi burning back in 88. Like, mm -hmm. but he, uh, I loved him in his small role in Constantine. Um, and obviously this, he was a character in a, in a short lived TV show right around the time of this. I think it came out in 2004. It was an American remake of touching evil, which was a British miniseries. Mm -hmm. Um, and he played a character named Cyril Kemp in that. And in that, he believed that his character believed that um, he was from another planet and he would black out and have dreams. And that was our reality. And then when he would when he would black out in our reality, it was him going back to his normal reality. And he was just so compelling in that role. He's got this ability to to portray vulnerability that yes um that seems like there's an innocence to him but he can also be very menacing and it, and it works in this role mm -hmm. part yeah. of that obviously is the nice stigmas in his eyes like the fact that he can that his eyes do that uh compulsive um and uh jittering it's just the, the jittering and the movement in it yeah him like a, a to to very if you just watch him it's wily but it's also like it's it's so out of the ordinary of what we're used to seeing right. that it it feels very like strange and off-putting in a way um but he can also like i say he can also come across just very innocent and very friendly mm -hmm. and and i enjoy that about like he's just compelling to me on screen all the time anytime i see him yeah. whether he's playing a good person a bad person conflicted and so to have him be the one with the multiple personalities with the dissociative identities was perfect. Um, yeah. Because I think that he that really gives you that. Yeah. 
because you're right he does dig mm -hmm. into it and it, it gives it yeah there's something there that scene when we're with john cusack in the chair the way that whole thing plays out in the reveal is so yeah. well done because both their performances just kill it because cusack is mm -hmm. playing ed and is ed and then mm -hmm. when when malcolm sees as ed sees the face that isn't his what he's expecting to see it's just crazy it, it, like it's so he just jumps right away and he like starts freaking out and then they they cut and they they bring it back to Pruitt Taylor Vince now and I just loved I loved every second of that like I just loved that reveal and the performances are what drove it for me yeah and so, like oh god Cusack is so good in that scene he, he is really like is. just I mean he's 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 great throughout it with his whole with his whole stoicism with everything but like mm -hmm. just my god he's so it it's really hard to put into words because like when you're watching it you're like it puts you in the mindset of like totally of what it would be like to go through that and it just you don't you don't lose focus on that because they both sell it so well and together yeah. like mm -hmm. it's just that's that was that was like a special moment i feel in this movie yeah because you stoicism is the perfect way to put it. like cusack's character is so reserved and stoic throughout most of the movie and everything that he sees and comes into mm -hmm. contact with for the most part like yeah there's the scene where he and leota are yelling at larry but he's still mm -hmm. very calm and collected and in this moment he's he's like he knows the doctor um and he knows that he kind of knows that part of it but then when he tells him no you're one of this person's identities and he just that that response of like what like no there's no like you're you're talking you're talking nuts here and then to mm -hmm. see the wrong face and he immediately starts to freak out you really feel for it at that point and so that yeah. being the perfect moment to then to then flip it to malcolm and now we go from being the audience as seeing the personality in the chair to now we see the personality inside the person and we are now another person in that room viewing right. him and mm -hmm. because we've spent so much time with john cusack as ed to have things that ed would be saying coming out of pruitt taylor vince's mouth mm -hmm. really just like it 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 jars you a little bit and it's mm -hmm. perfect for the scene and for the movie so yeah i i latched on that was one of my notes that i took this time around was like i just love that scene so much um the way it's all put together and staged out and and cusack and pruitt taylor vince are just masterful yeah um i don't know jake Busey kind of stood out but he's he's jake Busey. that's kind of his job I feel. right um at one point i i, I wrote down that he that he kind of looked like nick carter from the backstreet boys in this um yeah it's it's the hair and the weird lighting that they have on him all the time um yeah and it's just like <laughs> um but i mean he's he's like the one character at the motel he's such a troll. yeah yeah and he's the one character that gets like almost nothing to do at the motel right because they show up 
he gets shackled to the toilet, but then disappears. He does have the great moment I loved because again, up until like the first part of the movie, we're sort of given the idea that like, okay, these people are waiting in a, in a courtroom for the prisoner to show up. And then you've got these people at the motel and things are going weird at the motel. And then the cop, the prisoner transfer shows up at the motel. And so they're leading us to think that this is Malcolm Rivers, even though we're never really given the name um, at first. And so we're led in that direction. And, and we haven't gotten quite to the supernatural stuff yet. So I love that. And I love that when, uh, when the character of Maine, Busey's character, gets out, people start dying. They're looking for him. And he's running away and he goes through that little gulch and he comes mm-hmm. out the other side and all you see is buildings. And he's like, cool, I'm getting away. And he gets to the building and that whole reveal up until he goes to the window. And then you realize, oh, he's back in the motel. He's now inside the mm-hmm. diner, which is a room we haven't been in yet. Right. And that was, uh, I think, brilliantly done in order to kind of hide the fact because the one chance we had to go into the, the diner before this, a couple. It was either, well, diner's closed, there's no food, or, you know, we need the thread. And he's like, oh, I'll get it. It's locked up. And so then Larry just disappears and comes back with what he needs. So we haven't been in the diner yet, so we don't know what it looks like. And I love that uh, as the reveal of like, wait, what is going on? Because you can sort of trick yourself into being like, he just got himself turned around. It's the desert and it's pouring rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really enjoyed that. And it's unfortunate, like... With this kind of an ensemble, there's always going to be a couple of characters that just don't have as much screen time as others. And and right. Busey was one that didn't, but he mm-hmm. made the most of his few minutes on screen. Oh, yeah. He ate up every scene he was in. Like, it helps that you got that, you know, that Busey teeth. Uh, those yeah. Busey he's, teeth, oh, right? my, my gosh. He <laughs> sounded so much like his dad in this one. Like, he sometimes really he does. Sometimes he didn't. But like but every every time he opened his mouth, I heard. Old Gary. Um, somebody else that stood out was John C. McGinley. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, never seen Scrubs. Um, but, like, I've, I've seen scenes. I know who he is. And sure. just the character was so different and yet kind of the same. Just because he he's such – I mean, he's – He's that person. It was just like a more extreme version of it and not like happy, joyful, a lot more sullen and anxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like John C. McGinley. As uh, funny is that I think of him as Dr. Cox from Scrubs a lot because I did watch Scrubs. Um, mm-hmm. But also he popped up in a lot of like early to mid 90s kind of action movies and thrillers in these smaller roles. Like he's got a, a small role in... Um, the rock he's got a a part in seven where he's a SWAT team member um and he was like this just super serious uh guy but then all of a sudden he pops up in like office space as one of the bobs and he's just hilarious and here he's playing this really like just just restrained or not even restrained but constrained uh character that's so different from others that we've seen him do. He's great. I, I love all the different, the, the range that he can have um, yeah. because I bought him as that character. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see Dr. Cox. I just saw, I saw John C. McGinley playing this other character, which was great. Um, 
the one that stuck stuck out to me is I love John Hawks. Um, oh, yeah. and Larry, Larry is great, uh, in this, um, I, John Hawks is great in anything I see him in. Um, I talked mm-hmm. about him recently in American gangster. He was awesome. Um, and this character of Larry is one of them that does get a little bit more, uh, screen time and they do reveal some things about it. And I liked the layered reveals of stuff too. I did too. Yeah. Um, I loved how like you meet him and he's just the guy running the motel. But then that first, there's that little montage moment with the music where it's going to each of the different rooms and you start to question everybody, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, Paris has just a suitcase full of cash and we're not sure. Mm -hmm. Did she make all that money or did she steal some of that money? Like, I mean, she's a prostitute. so. So, you know, yeah. And like the first thought is, no, she was just saving up her money. But at the same time, you're sort of like, "Ah, that's a lot of just cash to have laying around. And while she's doing that, you've got Lou in the other room who isn't in bed with his wife and is sleeping on the couch and ignoring her and watching like from under the door as Paris moves around in the next room. And you get that shot of Rhodes, Ray Liotta's character, getting up. And all we've seen him so far is as a corrections officer but now he's got like a big blood stain on the back of his shirt mm-hmm. and larry's in the office like putting stuff away like picture of some other guy with a fish and all this kind of stuff so it's like you just you don't you don't know who like anybody's angle you don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. and i liked all of that and then to learn you know who larry was as it went along that that whole sequence was great uh that really i think ramped things up to sort of mm-hmm. have because it starts with uh, them seeing Larry's not in the diner with um, with Maine, right? They they've because they've caught him, they've tied him up to a post in there, and they told Larry to stay with him, and then he's not in there, and so they go in and they find Maine dead, and that that by the way was a shot that uh, the first time I watched the movie was like, oh, okay, all right, uh, yeah, and a, yikes, and apparently according to the trivia, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the full size dummy that they used for that scene, one mm-hmm. of the producers, I think wanted it and, and took it to his office and put it in a storage closet. Um, and okay. apparently scared like a cleaning lady because she like this cleaning person opened Oof. up the closet one night while they were clean and screamed. And so they got rid of it. Uh, but it's like, yeah, it's a little weird. You want the, 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 the dummy, huh? The dummy with the bat sticking out of it. Sure. That's no. not strange at all. Um, no, no. I got to say something know. about the fight, like after he found the diner, the uh-huh. way when John Cusack lays this square punch on the back of his neck, holy oh, crap. Yeah. Like that was such a good shot. Like just. And, and again, like that scene is some of that subtle layering of the Rhodes yeah. character, right? Because like that's now the second time we've seen Rhodes literally beat on the convict that he's supposed to be transporting in front of other people. Like corrections officers just wouldn't be doing that, especially not mm-hmm. in plain sight of civilians, um, right. which is, and he's already been a little bit like uh, high strung and very Ray Liotta. So mm-hmm. um, very. it's kind of one of those, one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, this guy isn't all, all he's cracked up to be. 
on top of the the whole image of him with the bloody shirt and you're just like wait what is what is that and he you know puts his jacket back on so nobody sees it so i was just loving all of that and then the whole reveal with larry and that scene kills me because larry explaining what happened to him that's that's our backstory for him and he's so convincing with it mm-hmm. right like his story I love the line right afterwards from Paris of like, well, it's so ridiculous. It just has to be true. Like, but the, the thing in his story that souls sells it for me, uh, as like, Oh no, I believe this is actually what Larry went through is the, uh, well, I wasn't trying to hide him. It was just really hot out when he talks about putting the body in the freezer, like the way he says that I'm like, Oh yeah, no, that's 100%. This guy's just, completely like making things up as he went along and thought it's hot. I'll put this body in the freezer so it doesn't start to stink. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, for some reason I, I just love that. And it made, it made his story believable for me. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't know. I've never had to hide a body before, but in that situation, <laughs> what else are you going to do? It's the desert. What's in the desert. Yeah. Like, well, and, like his story makes sense too, right? If he's right. in Vegas, he loses everything. He's got nothing but the gas in his car and he shows up at this motel and finds the proprietor dead. And then somebody <laughs> comes walking in. What's he going to do? Like it's, it's both ridiculous. And yet at the same time, you could see somebody in his position being desperate enough that they're like, maybe I can get away with just, that. yeah. Throwing caution to the wind and saying, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, what does he got to lose at that point? Exactly. Um, so yeah. Um, about Ray Liotta, let's go ahead. And okay. Let's do touch. it. Um, I don't know. Um, honestly, this is the only movie I've seen with him. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen casino. Um, not casino. Goodfellas. Goodfellas. See, yeah. See, see what I mean. <laughs> but um, like, I only knew my only inroad to to Ray Liotta was um was GTA Vice City, where he played uh uh the main protagonist um was that's right. Tony you Fettig. did the voice work for that. Yeah. yeah, and he did great in it. But I mean, it's it's Ray Liotta, mm-hmm. and and watching this, I heard so much of that because he's he's always just playing himself. Not that that isn't good. He is great at playing shades of himself and amping certain things up in certain situations. But, um, but I saw so much of that, and it was just great to finally, um, to finally put that with the voice and the acting and everything that I knew because I already thought he was great in mm-hmm. in uh, GTA, but. But I don't know. Yeah, he was he was he was great in this. He was great at being the unhinged Italian guy. Um, the the shootout at the at the end, fantastic um, between him and Cusack. Um, I don't know. He just seemed that. for what for what he for what his role was. He seemed perfect for it. Yeah, he was the perfect casting for that because you sort of. Don't trust him the moment you see him. Yeah, like something's and going yet, on. And yet, I have seen him play good characters, 
enough that it's like, okay, no, he's just a cop. You know, he plays a lot of cops and, and stuff involved in that. But you're also like, eh, but it's Ray Liotta. He's like one second away from snapping and just going nuts on people anyway. So yeah. kind of works. Uh, a few good movies to watch with him in it. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you these right now. Goodfellas is one. Sure. Um, Copland, I mentioned earlier, is fantastic. Uh, and he is really good in that. Um, I liked No Escape. If you like kind of cheesy uh, mid-90s like action movies that are just uh, high concept kind of sci-fi action, it's a prison island movie. He gets uh, dropped into a prison island. Um, and it's, it's nuts. It's completely crazy, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, so no escape right. is a great one. Another good one, um, that is a little bit under the radar is from 2002. So just before this called narc, um, uh -huh. and he is, he is amazing in it. And that movie is, is fantastic. Heartbreakers, um, wicked kitten in the chat is mentioning, uh, if you, and, and that movie is, I, I think also kind of underrated. Um, he just, he pops up and stuff and he's always good. Uh, I very rarely saw Ray Liotta be like bad in something. Um, and smoke and aces is another one. That's just a dumb action movie. That's a lot of fun. Um, but there was something about him in this because he did toe that line until he finally has kind of his, his blowout moment in the hotel room, which we'll get to in a, in a little bit because um, sure, we have some yeah. audio from that. Uh, oh, but yeah. yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was a lot of fun in that because it's always, there's an intensity to Ray Liotta, even the scene. Mm -hmm. Cause he, the other thing is the, the reveals of him not being above board and not being kind of who he says he is start almost right away with like, he's very cordial and very, uh, just sort of straightforward when he's talking to, um, Larry at first. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and even Ed, but then goes right into being creepy uh with paris where he sees right. her at the bending machine and like that mm -hmm. whole scene plays out where he's just i mean it's like creep factor is is at, oh at yeah high all the alarms you know where he's just staring at her while he's reaching into his pockets for like change and stuff like that <laughs> um and you're just like oh yeah like mm -hmm. icky uh and it just kind of goes from there even little things like when he comes back into the room and Ed asks him right away, you know, Hey, any luck on the radio? And he says, no. And then at the end of that scene, he goes, well, maybe, maybe we should take turns on the radio if that's okay. And he's like, no, it's not okay. Yeah. And you can sort of, you can dismiss that as like a cop that, that doesn't trust other people, mm -hmm. but also he doesn't want to reveal that he's not actually a corrections officer and he's ripped the radio out. So it's just really, really well, I think put together. Um, yeah. And we haven't mentioned Paris yet, Amanda Peet. Yeah, I was actually about to bring her up too. Um, she, yeah, she's her her character is also great. All like almost all the characters in this movie were really mm -hmm. good. There weren't any, there weren't a lot of like dud moments. Like the the mom, uh, fine, Rebecca De Mornay. That's oh, the actress. This, yeah, this yeah. Is, yeah, this is like the least of her roles. Um, but, but aside from that, almost everybody in the movie, like just sold their role in, and I wouldn't quite say this is better than it deserves because I mean, that's, that's a pretty good cast. This deserved to be a good movie. 
and it was, mm. but it was a little better than you expected. I felt like, yeah, like I will say Rebecca De Mornay in this, while it's probably not her best role, she plays this role so well, right? Because yeah. she is the over the top caricature of like an actress that is just full oh, of sorry. ego and wants to think of like all the, you know, all the little people, right? Um, sorry, she's but, the actress. I was, I was, uh, I was thinking of Timothy's mom. Like that's that's oh. the only one where there wasn't much to do. Like yeah. she got struck with a car and she had to fake being suffocated to death. Okay. Like yeah. um Yeah. But but yeah, the the actress was actually sorry, was actually really also really good. The and really really fastidious and really selfish and just totally up around butt. Um mm -hmm. oh yeah. Yeah, and she just like doesn't care about other anyone else at all, and uh, just sees them as like means to an end. Um, even right. Cusack, who's driving her, like she's berating him and yelling at him immediately. And the whole moment where she tells him, you know, don't get out of the car, you're taking responsibility, and he's like, it is my responsibility. Like she's when just I saw that the second time, knowing the thing of the movie and how they're in Ed slash Malcolm's head. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, oh. It is his responsibility. Holy crap! Um, yeah, yeah. There, this movie has so much symbolism in it. Um, it really does. Anyway, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it does because you just you get these and and repeated watchings give you new things. Now, here's something I did not notice. I have seen this movie several times. Um, it's one of those, like I say, I saw it a couple of years after it came out on home video, and then. Uh, it's one that I've gone back to and revisited every few years. I'll, I'll watch it. Cause I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I, I enjoy this. Um, and two things, this watching, I had never noticed before. Okay. So first one is there's the shot of George when he's changing the tire on the car. I wrote that down too. Yeah, go ahead. His wife, his wife is, mm -hmm. uh, standing there with the umbrella, right? She's holding it over him and they, they have a little mini argument. But the shots of George, you see the headlights of the car in the back of it. Mm -hmm. And I've never noticed those before. I don't know uh, why, because it's not like they're trying to hide it, but I've just never noticed like the car, uh, the limo is in the background of that shot. It's not actually. Yeah, it's it's, probably just it, when it, when it shows up, it seems to show up out of nowhere. But, yeah. but, you're, but you're saying they actually allow you to plainly see it coming. But yeah, it's, like it's basically. Just, yeah. It, yeah, it's there. Uh, and I I was like, ooh, I hadn't noticed that before. That's really cool. And the other one, and again, I hadn't noticed this in all the times that I've watched it, is when we cut back to um, Caroline in her room and she's talking into the mirror mm -hmm. and kind of psyching herself up to talk to her, her agent or whatever. Um, just as she is talking, we're seeing the shot in the mirror in the, the um, drapes behind her is the the killer you can see the face he's like standing behind it and it sort of gets illuminated a little bit more with the lightning but i've never okay. seen it before and it's one of those where it's like here's the movie being clever and kind of showing some of its cards early mm -hmm. but in such a subtle way that if you're not looking for it yeah you're not you're not gonna pay attention because the whole shot the way it's framed you're focused on caroline you're focused on what mm -hmm. she's doing with yeah. her and with her stuff in front of her you're not looking and paying attention to that background and it's very very subtle right. um but i love that so that was a, a really cool thing that i was like 
I never saw. I've seen this movie how many times? I never saw it. They give away that it's Timmy right there yeah. without giving away that it's Timmy. Um, yeah. And I just thought that was really cool. So I had to mention that. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Um, something else about about the, the tire change that I noticed. Um, mm-hmm. In that argument, they're arguing over why George keeps buying bad tires and keeps and keeps plugging the bad tires and doesn't buy replacement tires because they're having to put all their money to go to send Timmy to the the right school. Yeah. And yeah. like and there's this there's this the the selfishness about George. Like he gets be, he gets between Timmy and the mom a lot. Uh doesn't give an f about him. Um doesn't really pay attention to his feelings or anything like that. Um, just says, Oh no, go outside. I have to stay in guard. I can't, I can't take care of you. Go see the prostitute. You're, you're good. Um, and, um, even like when Timmy is okay. So when the mom wakes up and says, where's Timmy and Timmy comes over and they have their moment, like the dad almost get between him and the mom. And it's just, he is so anxious about anything bad happening to this woman. You kind of start to wonder, is this like a complex or is he just really endeared to her? Like what's going on? There's, there's something a little, it's a little bent about it. It's tough too, because when you get the reveal that he's a stepdad, that Timmy's right, you know, Timmy's real dad left. Like what's going on? Like what like what emotions are we dealing with? Like what's, yeah, what's, we what's don't, that part of the story? Mm-hmm. And we never get any of that. We never get any resolution sure. to that. So it, it, it kind of has that feel of like he wants to do okay, but he doesn't know how and he's not, right. and he can't really function without Alice in that right. role. Like he doesn't feel mm-hmm. as though he has any connection with Timmy to be able to function there. So he just doesn't know what to do. Um, right. So yeah, that, that was an interesting dynamic. And then obviously on a, on rewatchings, you look at Timmy a lot differently too, like that character. Um, because the, the kid in the first watching of it and not knowing anything, him not being a major player doesn't really matter. Cause he's just a kid and he's, he's there and he's lost his mom and he's just grieving that right. And dealing with the fact that his mom is injured and he doesn't know anything like that's kind of how you can read that and then as you, when you watch it again and you sort of know the reveal that he's the dominant personality that has all the anger pent up uh and explodes with that like now you suddenly start watching him very differently all the way through and it's kind of cool the way they were able to do that without mm-hmm. it's sort of a i mean it you know it, it was a whole lot of kaiser soze going on there where they're they're oh, yeah. they're not revealing with they're they're not revealing anything but they're sort of hints and you can pick up on it if you pay attention that second time um and with all the characters like all those characters in the motel just they all have something going on i mean the least developed of them are uh Busey's character and then uh Ginny and Lou um yeah. which i will say for all of the characters to be named after like cities and and states and stuff Lou Louisiana is oh my god that makes me want to die that was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> like, uh, Mike, Michael, Michael Cooney, you could have done better is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, come on. But 
even their dynamic was was compelling enough of like the young newlyweds and then you find out oh they only got married because she said she was pregnant and then oh no she lied about that just to get hitched to him because you know and then i like his his response to that is like what are we 15 you know uh it's kind of this like high school drama um and she because Ginny is incredibly emotional about everything so it makes more sense why she's the one freaking out early and having these kind of mini breakdowns when you learn that that's just sort of her personality. She is, she is more prone to that than the rest of these people because they're all slices of, uh, they're not all like fully realized, you know, individuals in the sense of like a three dimensional person, Mm -hmm. which normally you would say is either lazy writing or you just don't have time to develop them. But in this case, it also, yeah, they're like thin because, with purpose. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like, I kind of like that because I like that storytelling of like, no, 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 it's not Ginny. Isn't this way because that's how women act. It's because she's just a partial uh, personality. She's just a part of the collective whole She's that aspect of it. They're all aspects of who Malcolm is or has been. Um, and I mean, I'm sure there's ways you could dive even deeper into like the psychology of all of it. If you, if you know more. Um, yeah. About how it's like his internalized uh, version of his mom's like panic or anxiety disorders, probably. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, the prostitute is the obvious connection, like direct connection to his mother. Yep. Yeah, which is why she's sort of the, she's both what he despised because that's, that's what he was, you know, the, the trauma that he went through, but also it's his mom. And so that's kind of the personality that also has sort of the best chance and innocence at the same time. There's that dichotomy of that. So for that to be the final uh, personality that gets killed by Timmy. It's very, very telling. And oh you got Ed, gosh. who is what, what a scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that was just this side of '80s cheese, and I loved it. I oh yeah, loved it. That was so great. Um, also, speaking of Timmy, what about when he's walking away from the burning car? That is some Walker Texas Ranger level effects right there. That, yeah, like that. That felt like a vine. <laughs> it like I it feel did like not hold up at all. Everything else so, held up pretty much because I mean they're all physical effects, but that was mm-hmm. that was rough. They uh, they did shoot multiple endings, um, uh-huh. and different iterations of it to kind of keep what they were going for sort of under wraps and sort of a secret. So they, I don't think they fully they may not have had enough time to really like do the digital work that they wanted for that shot because mm-hmm. you're right. That's like the one shot that just, it's very, that the explosion when, when you see it from Ed and Rhodes's perspective as they're arguing and then the, the thing explodes on the other side of the building mm-hmm. that already is a little weak. The comp on it isn't perfect, but yeah. you can kind of get away with it, but you're right. The shot of Timmy walking away is like, Ooh, but at yeah. the same time, too, you can sort of explain that away because now it's we're we're viewing memories, 
right. um, a little bit. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's inside his head. Sure. But you're right. Yeah. That was definitely the shot where it's like, all right, a little bit of the budget showing through there. Um, could, yeah. have, could have been more. Because this was, um, yeah. I mean, this this was a fairly small in terms of like, you know, film budget. Mm-hmm. It was $28 million budget to make this. And yeah. when you think about some of the cast of this is, I mean, they're not, I'm not going to sit here and say they're superstars, but like John Cusack, Ray Liotta, Amanda Peet, Alfred Molina. Um, those are all, you know, veteran act, like everybody's veteran actors mm-hmm. in this. So you don't have, it's not a bunch of no names. Um, Rebecca De Mornay. And it's, and to do this for 28 million, part of that is they were able to shoot a lot of it on sets. Yeah. So there wasn't, yeah, any, a lot of uh, it was in Culver City. Yeah. And it wasn't like, uh, what they didn't have to do location shoots so they could control everything because obviously if you're going to have driving rain like that through most of your movie you've got to have that on set there's just no way Mm -hmm. uh to do it's so expensive to shoot that kind of stuff on location um but yeah it's just i mean we didn't talk about alfred molina like i love alfred molina doc is awesome yeah and he's he's another one like he's one of those that I always sort of trust, but I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And yet he'll play in this, he's playing a, a good person. Um, but I think it just, that goes all the way back to, to Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Like he, right. he betrayed Indiana Jones, so he can't be trusted ever. Um, right. But like, he's great as uh, in this role as Dr. Malik. Like I just, I enjoyed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's he's Even, he's um he's very gentle and very yes like he he's he's very what's the word I'm looking for like reaching and mm-hmm. he's yeah he he once again he sold his role super well and he's got that great line when he sits down where he says remember we need to exterminate the rat not the house oh I didn't I love that, that line good. yeah. Yeah, I really liked that line. There's a mm-hmm. couple of good lines in here. The the poem that they read, uh, that they oh, recite yeah. at the beginning and the end of the movie, um, which is uh, a poem called um, Antigonish, I believe is how mm-hmm. it's pronounced. Um, I love it. I It's one of those that just lives in my head all the time, and occasionally it just pops in there. Uh, there's just something so cool about it because it's complete. It's simultaneously, to me, really interesting and profound and also utter nonsense at the same time. Yeah. And it works so well that way. Yeah. yeah um, it does. Be, because like you just, you, you hear it and you're like, huh? But then if you think about it, you're like, that's kind of cool, but also, huh? <laughs> so yeah. I, I love stuff like that. Um, um, go ahead. Speaking of, speaking of, um, you mentioned the hard driving rain. Let's go ahead. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes into the show. Let's go ahead um, and talk about um, the rain. Okay. So I'm a long, <clears throat> long time listener in film sag. Listen from the beginning. Um, <laughs> there is this controversial episode, episode something, something um, about minority report where Dunaway um, goes into um he can't ever figure out what the, what the water means. And he yeah. and Randy, of course, like link up on this and are like, they drew so much attention to it. It has to be there for a reason. And, and of course, Brian and Scott are like, Whoa, what, wow, water, what does it mean? 
and yeah. like it's it's a it's a long running gag, which is fine. It's it's very funny, and obviously mm-hmm. Brian like has has his thing about it has made has made some peace about it, I'm sure. And um, but I wanted to I wanted to set him square a little bit, and not not so much him, but Scott and Brian. Um, in college, I had to read a book by um, I think his name was um, Thomas Foster. And it was how yeah. to read literature like a professor. He was he was a college lit um, prof and a writer, I believe. And it was a book all about symbolism. And I mean, to be fair, he starts out saying, you know, this isn't every time you see snow, it doesn't mean someone's going to die. But right. it also doesn't mean that the author did it on purpose. Because sometimes, just like any other symbol in life, Sometimes you just like a scene just feels right a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so they write the scene and it happens to have the symbolism in it and it happens to go with the story that they wrote. So there's that. And watching this, this movie, like it's raining the whole time. And at some point I'm like, you know, what is the meaning of this? Like, what, <laughs> what is the meaning of this? Um, well, like what, 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 is, what does this mean? But then they get to the end and it's about how um, it it's about how he needs to change. And in this mm-hmm. book, in this book, this guy it's one of the things that I actually remember from the book. It he says he says that water, rain, etc., diving, whatever, sinking usually has to do with some sort of baptism. Um, you know, getting dunked under the water and coming back up new and like within the context of this movie that's exactly what it's about because the entire entire time in the movie it's raining but they're talking about how he needs to come out a different person his name his last name is even rivers yeah like so but but and i'm not saying it's on purpose i'm not saying it actually means that but i'm just saying sorry i'm just saying here's here's a situation where I heard this once in college. Here's some something that lines up with it, you know. Sorry, um, but like, I don't, I don't know. That just, that just, that just amused me. That I was like, oh, so does this mean that this is going to happen? And yeah, that's exactly what happened. Well, and and for me, the way that I read it in the movie always has been part two two prong. And this is the beauty of of art and film is that absolutely things like this can happen in a movie and sometimes the director intends that sometimes they, they don't, the artist doesn't have that intention at all. It just happens, but you it's, it's how you perceive it. Like for me, the, the, the rain in this is twofold. Number one, in our reality, it's raining hard that night. Mm -hmm. And this is all happening inside of um, Malcolm rivers head. So, that is affecting it but also it's a tool that dr malik is using in the uh, treatment of malcolm to sequester and get all of his personalities into one place and then keep them there right and so in order to keep them at this little motel and have it be in a way that his mind will be able to to rationalize it's Mm -hmm. make it in a downpour where all the roads are washed out 
And this, mm-hmm. this happens, especially in the desert. And so now all of these personalities are stuck there. In fact, there was a um, early draft of the script, the, the John that uh, Paris is with in her flashback, mm-hmm. the, the naked man that was tied to the bed. He was mm-hmm. one of the personalities in an early version of the script. Um, he was actually, he was Caroline's agent and they ended up just kind of trimming it off. Cause they, it was, it was too bloated yeah. at that point. They just needed to, and, and it's better for that. I think just having him be random right. dude, trim that off, but he was supposed to be the first of the personalities to die. Um, but to get them all there and then basically just stick them, you know, it'd be like, uh, like, um, how they did it in like the evil dead, for instance, they get them, they get to the cabin, but then the bridge goes out. There's no other way to get anywhere. Now they're stuck here and they're stuck inside the story. And that was their, the conceit here for me was no, it's the rain and it's part of his treatment to force them all together. And now they're all stuck here together. And now the personalities slowly one by one, uh, take each other out. And I love then the slow reveal of kind of supernatural elements with like the bodies disappearing yeah, the way and the way the, the way they tags. leaned into that was just so. It was, I don't, not subtle, but it was, it was it was very skilled. I felt. I thought so. I thought yeah. so too. Um, because it's it's just enough to be like, is it supernatural? Exactly. Is something weird happening? And then, oh no, it's not actually like it is, but it isn't. And mm-hmm. I just again, it's James Mangold. I think elevating the script with with direction but also casting i think those are the two things this is a story the story is interesting the story is compelling but in lesser hands it doesn't work like if you don't have you you mentioned the shootout between cusack and ray Liotta mm-hmm. at the end what's great about that and what's great about all of the sort of little uh action sequences that happen in this whether it's the fight in the diner um or that shootout is they're not the focus of what we're doing. They're not the intent of the story. So they're very quick and they're very simple. Like the shootout is literally, he starts walking towards them. They fire a couple of times and that's it. Mm -hmm. And, and it, I, I love the simplicity of that. And there's even, and this is another thing to check for when you watch it again. I don't know if you noticed it the second time or not. When Rhodes and Ed are in front of each other after they've shot each other, uh, Rhodes says, he mouths the words, I didn't do this. And Ed's, Ed also says, I know, but they, they cut the audio down. So you just see them mouthing the words to each other as like Ed sort of understanding, like the two of them kind of coming to an understanding at the end, but Ed, Ed just being like, this is what I had to do. Like, it's probably, it could have been either one of us and Paris is the one that needs to survive is sort of what Ed's thinking at that point. So I thought that was another one of those little, I, and that I have noticed before. Um, I think, it, I think I started noticing that on my second time. Cause there's some little, little audio cues here and there. Um, when mm-hmm. Lou gets attacked in the room, if you're listening, you hear him actually say like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And then all of a sudden he starts freaking out and slamming on the door and yelling at Ginny again. Mm-hmm. So, Stuff like that. It's just a very deftly made movie. I think that's what it is. It's handled very well. Absolutely. I will say there was one thing that very, very, very much disappointed me. Right (laughs) at that, right before that shootout, that power line comes down. 
starts going everywhere. Oh and yeah. When I first watched it, I was like, okay, here we go. Check off power line. Let's, yep. let's roll with this. And it never gets used. And it's still disappointing the second time through. It's just, <laughs> it, it's so, ah, like, don't set me up like that. Like, it, right. We're conditioned as audience, as an audience. Yeah, that if there's yeah, a power was, line flopping around like that, it's going to get somebody. Um, like I've seen Final I, Destination. I know how this goes. <laughs> exactly. I do wonder if that played into any of their alternate endings that they shot. Um, Cause yeah. I've never seen any alternate endings for this. Um, so I don't know if they ever it did anything to, beyond they like played, shooting they them. They did play it up a little bit. Yeah. They, I mean, there's camera focusing on it and I like that in a way too, mm-hmm. because like you said, it is disappointing that nothing happens with that, but it's leading you in this direction. So you're never, yeah. because by this point in the movie now, we've had the reveal. We, yeah. And we know now, we now have been given all the information. So we know what's, what's going on. So now we're trying to piece it together. So you can't have the red herrings be like the red herrings now have to be, Ooh, that, that could be important. Maybe something's going to happen with that. Nah, no, mm-hmm. it won't. Um, and, and I, I dug that. So, you know, uh, it's just, it's a fun, it's a, it's a really fun movie and, and it did, does make for some pretty, uh, neat little audio clips, which I did capture some yeah. audio and you sent me some audio, yeah. which was awesome. By the way, I love that you Thanks. Um, captured some audio and sent one of them. Uh, I will say that you sent me when I, when we get to it, I'll play it. But uh, one of the clips you sent, I also captured the exact same. Nice. Thing. So when I get done playing some of this, maybe we'll see if you can figure out which one it was that I captured. Um, yeah. But uh, early on when, when, so there's moments in this, I love this one because this is when the car uh, with Ray Liotta and Jake Busey's pulling in and it's mm-hmm. that all of a sudden the music takes that downturn and everything gets a little bit dour and like everything comes slows down and we see everybody reacting to this showing up. And this is our first little inkling of anything supernatural because we get Ginny who again is the, is the personality that is most into superstition she feels something when that car pulls in and i love that and it's just the the exchange with her and lou uh so that sounded a little something like this did you feel that feel what cold and that's that first little seed of ooh, things Mm. might be a little more than we think which i i I really dug Um, and like and like like at that time it like it is a little cheesy, but it's right in the pocket of the cheese of that, of that era in that time. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's directly what you would expect for a scene like that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, Jake Busey. Uh, I, I captured one line of his and it's him talking to Larry. Uh, I just loved uh, part of it too, is the look on his face. Like he just, mm-hmm. he's looking up through his eyes and those, big old horse teeth of his um and he just says i'm good at keeping secrets i gotta offer myself i love that line. and and it's so good and it's again it's before the full reveal of roads being roads um so i just i really liked that this one was i mentioned this one earlier this is uh rebecca de Mornay and john cusack in the car this is right after they hit um alice if you help them, you'll assume responsibility. It is my responsibility. But go me. And like that right away tells us a lot about both of those characters, Ed in particular. Mm-hmm. 
that Ed is going to do the right thing regardless of what other people think. Um, yeah. That he's a he's a good guy, um, and he's so he's he's the person that we're going to be kind of rooting for, right? So mm. I just like that. Um, I was I was pleased with that. The movie opens uh, with and I ca- I captured the poem from both Malcolm and Edward. Um, oh, cool! Yeah. So because they 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 recite them very differently. I was going to say they play it very very differently. So this is Malcolm. This is the very first thing you hear in the movie. As I was going up the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. Yeah, and it's such a a haunting beginning to this movie. Yeah. Um, and actually, what I think is very clever um, is that the movie kind of gives away the ending in the opening credits, mm-hmm. but you don't notice it. You're not and unless you unless you sort of know where it's going, you don't notice it in the opening credits. But it's it's through dialogue with Dr. Malik um, and Malcolm, where at one point he's like Dr. Malik is saying things like, uh, well, who am I speaking to now? Or what should I call you? Uh, when you when you watch it again, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's talking to somebody with multiple, you know, personalities inside them. But you're not getting that at first. It's just maybe this, you know, I don't know. It's like he's just meeting him for the first time. Whatever it is, you, you kind of brush it off. And I thought that was again very clever. Um, right. Also, also in that opening sequence, um, if you watch carefully, there's um, it's backwards, but there's a drawing of of a kid and his it's labeled so it's like me uh mommy and then there are all of these other like little figures off to the left that are all x'd out but have like question marks above their Mm -hmm. head because he doesn't know who they are and that 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 also that also kind of shines a light in that direction Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 a clever but it's also a ballsy way to to open your movie yeah um, it is just because just lay it out like that you know you're gonna we're basically gonna tell you what the movie's about but now mm-hmm. hey figure it out um and then john cusack reciting the poem later as ed what i liked about this was that opening with malcolm it's very haunting it's very almost sinister in a way and then you get ed who's using it kind of like a mantra and for that to then also be the way that um, Dr. Malik kind of pulls Ed into the room, uh, it sort of makes sense that they kind of use this poem that Malcolm knows as a way to trigger who they want. And I kind of enjoyed that. So here's John Cusack reciting the same poem, and it feels incredibly different from him. Yeah. When I was going up the stairs, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish I wish he'd go away. Like he feels more desperate, right? Yeah, he's and... he's 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 trying to ground himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to make that so headache just... not not just go away, but not have it affect him. Yeah. Yep. He wants the to to stave off the the headache and the blackout is what he's yeah. trying to do. 
Um, this one's called might. Oh, no, before that, uh, this is George. Um, and I just liked the delivery of this, uh, right after Alice gets hit when he's, you know, cradling her on the road and he's yelling at the car. What have you done? What have you done? Like just, he doesn't know. Uh, he just, he just doesn't know what to do. And it's kind of microcosm of George as a character of just not knowing how to react or how to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. Might be. I don't remember what this one is now. I just recorded it not that long ago. That's bad. Uh, right, well, here's that. <laughs> Story so unbelievable. It just might be true. Yeah. She's got a point. <laughs> That's right. Story so unbelievable. It might just be true. I love that. Uh, and I love Ray Liotta's little scoff right at the end. Yeah. There's just something great about somebody being so annoyed and flustered by other people that they can't even form words. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just love that story. So unbelievable. It might just be true. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Um, this one's called first of something. Uh, here we go. First of all, we do not know who you are. That's right. Lou. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's driving rain out, Lou. That's probably not the way to to go into this conversation with a random right. person on the, on the road. Like, that's asking you for help. Um, right. He's context clues, buddy. Yeah. Lou, Lou's, Lou's kind of a dingus. Let's be yeah, honest. Uh, I did get some roads because uh, it was a... a good little bit of um, Ray Liotta mm-hmm. um, because again, there's those layers to him. So like Cusack and him have, you know, this exchange. Maybe we should take turns on the radio if that's all right. No, it's not. I can manage. And like at first blush, yeah, I kind of buy it. Like you don't want just some random person using the radio in your car. Um, even if, you know, you are in a weird situation, but, then when you think about it more, it's like, no, no, no. He's just covering his own. He's just covering oh, yeah. himself. Sure. Um, him being creepy with Paris. You got a name? Paris. Paris, huh? Okay. Never been. Well, you ain't going tonight. And just the creep factor of uh, the, the creep factor of that scene, because he'd never breaks eye contact with her and he never blinks. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. I, yeah. I noticed that better the second time and it was just, uh, it is, yeah, it's creepy. Um, again, him and Cusack, uh, this time a little bit more on the same page. Where's your guy? He's cuffed to a toilet. Also, I just like the, the line cuffed to a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> Something about that. Um, and then here's, here is where he is. He's asserting, uh, some authority, uh-huh. keeping everybody in line, um, as they're sort of unraveling. Uh, he's got Larry tied to a chair. All right. You want a plan? Everybody want a plan? Here's the plan. Okay. No one's going to move. We're going to stay here like this in this room until dawn. No one leaves. No one moves. And like. That was good. But then you captured this. The second half of it, yeah. 
And if he tries anything, if he tries anything, I'm going to shoot him. And if there's something out there and it comes in here, I'm going to shoot it. And if any one of us tries anything, I'm going to shoot him. We get it. Good. That's so, <laughs> that's so um, Rocco from Bugs Bunny. Like, yeah. It was, it's it was, so like, it's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's also absolutely perfect. Yeah. Brilliant. And it makes sense. Like that's his, that's going to be his go-to is just whatever happens. I'm just going to shoot him. We'll deal with it later. I, I loved that. Um, so yeah, Ray, Ray Liotta just being, being awesome. Um, you captured a couple more. I want to get to before we'll, we'll, I have some Larry's that I need to play. Um, sure. So much Larry, so much Larry, but like this one, it's just such a good line. It's he's unconscious. He's unconscious, Larry. He's tied to a post. <laughs> I laugh every time I hear that line. <laughs> he's literally tied to a post. It's not moving. Um, unconscious, so I like that. To <laughs> uh, this one's Larry too. His name was Larry too. Yeah. Which is great. I love that. His name was Larry too. His name was Larry too. Great. He's just like, he's on the verge of crying that whole time. John yeah. Hawks is just so good. I just love, I love his performances and stuff. Cause I always, I just always buy into it. Um, and then we've got Malcolm. Uh, oh, okay. This one. Malcolm is in the midst of a medical treatment. Yep. Every time yeah. I hear that, I I'm even looking at the caption. I know what word is coming, but I hear Malcolm in the middle. <laughs> and every yeah. single time I've listened to that file like six times and every time it's just right there. Yep. Malcolm's in the middle. Like, um, I loved, so Larry, Larry is my favorite character in the movie. Uh, hands down. Um, but like when Cusack is stitching up her neck, which is interesting, right? Cause she got hit by a car, but it was her neck that got injured and apparently yeah. her legs weren't broken. Um, yeah. I thought that was, I, I, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. I, I could think about that too much, but then I'm just like, nah, whatever. Just hand wave it away. That she's injured. That's the important piece. But when um, Ed is stitching her up and it's just Larry standing behind watching it and his, his comment. I wish I had beige. I wish I had beige. Yeah. Uh, Larry, don't change. Um, when we meet Larry for the first time, he's watching uh, Wheel of Fortune, which is always fun. Um, and I just loved. Buy a vowel, you idiot. Yes. Like that, that's all he's got to, to occupy himself. This is, this is 2003, kids. The internet was mm -hmm. there, but it wasn't ubiquitous. He's in the middle of the desert. So all he can do is play his uh, Wheel of Fortune drinking game. They got to buy a vowel so he can take a shot of Southern comfort. Because yeah. he knows how to party. Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> when, when Caroline is trying to like schmooze her way into the nicest room, uh, that whole scene was great. Because she absolutely 100% doesn't care about this guy at all. He's just some yokel out in yeah. the middle of nowhere. And she puts down the 50 and slides it over there and he looks at it. And then he looks at the stack of cash in her purse mm -hmm. and just his reaction. It's very cozy. <laughs> it's very cozy. Thinking, yep, I'm going to steal your money later. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that. 
He also, though, I mean, Larry, for all of his, like, him being my favorite character in it, he definitely, and it makes you wonder how he lost all his money in Vegas because he does not like Paris being a prostitute at all. Like, that is the big thing. And I know part of it is that's going to be Malcolm's personality and sort in of Malcolm's his... Head, yeah. Yeah, in Malcolm's head and his, like, distaste for his mom because she was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just immediately treats her awful. And this line... Well, I don't like looking at trash. Oh, just terrible. Because yeah. at that point, the first time I saw the movie, I'm like, well, I hate you. And he, he grew on me after that. And, and they eventually, like, he got past it and was able to have conversations with her before, obviously, getting shot. Um, and they, I wouldn't say bonded, but they at least didn't end with an animosity between them. But that beginning. Mm. Uh, and then this was the last one. And it, it was just, it's the believability. It's the thing that makes his unbelievable story believable is I wasn't trying to hide him. It was hot out. I wasn't trying to hide him. It was hot out. Like, obviously that makes perfect sense. Um, and it was just, it was just a great like moment. Uh, and it was the, that's the moment where I'm like, okay, no, he, this totally what this guy did. So those are the sound clips, um, that I got now. Can uh, of the four that you you got, which one do you think I also copied? Because I'm curious. I, I, I want to say the unconscious line. Believe it or not, no, it was the second half of uh, Rhodes's rant. The second half, shooting okay. everybody. Yeah, cool. I had that literally that exact clip all the way up to like the I, good, um, yeah. and I was like, oh. Oh, you have to add the good. That's just oh, yeah. excellent punctuation. Yeah, it's just good timing. Um, but yeah, I mean, this movie's got a lot of good lines in it. Uh, it's got, it's just got outstanding performances, and the direction is good. I love, I love a good small scale movie like this, and mm-hmm. literally small scale, and that's all inside this guy's head. But like setting everything there, then in this one location, creates the claustrophobia and the idea that they can't get away from each other and the murder mystery aspect of it. And then taking, you know, taking, and then there were none that base skeleton of a story and retelling it, but giving us something different about it, not just a murder mystery and not a murder mystery with some supernatural elements. But now we, we add that extra layer on of no, 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 this is, you know, this is all playing out inside this person's head who has disassociative identity disorder, whether or not the movie's accurate about that is debatable. But I think that using that as a plot device was an interesting way to tell this story and kind of, like I said, at the beginning, get into the mind of the killer, which you, so many people always want in their, their movies like this. Um, And just the idea of identity in, in itself, like Ed is reading being in nothingness. That's the book he has in the car when he, and you see that. And like, it's great because it can be just this fun surface level, or you can really dive into the psychology of a lot of different stuff in this movie. Um, And it's, it's the, I think the reason that I can keep coming back to it and watching it more and more. Mm -hmm. So, and that Um, is, you know, huge Testament to James Mangold. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier in Lesser Hands 
Um, the way, the way, okay, two things, the way the ending unfolds, like that is like pacing, like the last, I don't know, 20 minutes of this movie are just like, what, what makes the movie after everything else that makes the movie? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it just, it, it just, it just goes in a different direction, but it goes in that direction because of the beats of there's the birthday and then there's the states and then there's the the mirror and just how that plays out and unravels just so i think if any of those three points were a little off a little more i think it would have it would have been too much in another place and it would have killed it i think um yeah. and yeah, go ahead. Like pacing, pacing is one of the most important things when it comes to a movie, um, because an hour and a half long movie, if it's poorly paced, can feel like it takes forever, and a three-hour movie paced well can go by in no time. Um, and this being an hour and a half long, I think is perfect. It doesn't need to be longer than that. No. Um, and and. So then inside that hour and a half, how to pace it, right? You have to build your tension. You have to build your suspense. So you, you're going to start off a little bit slower and you're going to give us a little bit of background on most of the characters, but not all of them and just bring it along and bring it along. But it hits that about 56 minutes is when we get the reveal of disassociative identity disorder. Yeah. And, um, but it doesn't give us all of it yet. They just start to hint at it. And then it's over that next half hour that they, they give you that full story. We get how all these people relate to each other. And meanwhile, the, the, the killings and the death are ramping up at the same time. So you're right. It just sort of like it kicks into another gear there. And without that, it doesn't work. You need all of that to happen the way that it did. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned this is my other point. Um, you mentioned how it was an Agatha uh, Christie story, and I didn't know that until I read the Wikipedia right before I hopped on here. Um, mm -hmm. When I was watching it the second time, I was like, you know, this is absolutely a story that I would have read specifically in seventh grade reading class. Like the mm -hmm. way the way the story rises, the the twist, and all of that. Um, it made me think of a short story that I think most, most Americans have read, um, called the most dangerous game by Richard Connell. And, yep. um, and like, in, after I had that realization, I'm like, well, hon, so I'm comparing this to like seventh grade level lit and, and, am I downplaying it? And like, no, because like most dangerous game gave way to one of the most beloved movies of John Woo's career in Hard Target. Yeah. And like, so me saying that doesn't, it, it, it almost makes it like a little more compelling to me because it's, it's you, you have this, this level of story and this level of, of accessibility and ease to understand and all of that. But it's that story with a lot of good, a lot of good, like kneading and folding in of, of details. And it's mm -hmm. just, they take that and 
they, like we were saying earlier, they just elevate it somehow. Yeah. Not that this is yeah, the dude. best movie you'll ever see, but like, it's really, really, it's, it's really, really good. It is. It's, it, it's better than the sum of its parts and its parts Absolutely. are very good. The cast is very good. The director is good. The script is decent. Um, and, but it all comes together with this great art direction and just this driving rain and everything is dark and all of your backgrounds because it's shot on a Music stage was pretty good too. shot at night. Yeah. Alan Silvestri did the score. Mm-hmm. And the music is great, and just the look of everything, and the way they the the DP, the way he lit everything, uh, is very cinematic, very harsh. It's dark without being so dark you can't tell what's going on. Then, then when you watch it again and you see the little breadcrumbs that they fed you, the stuff in the opening credits, or seeing the silhouette in the of the killer um, in the in the window, that kind of stuff, and like giving you little bits and pieces of what the story is going to be without having to come right out and say it. And then you can enjoy the reveal when it happens and it's adding that. And then those layers on top of just what is already a very good structure of a murder mystery, which is the, and then there were none. Like it's just a, it's a cool, it's like, it's like using strangers on a train as sort of the basis for your story that concept and that idea is very simple and there's a lot of ways you can go with it. And that's what I like about this is it doesn't try to be too much. It just was like, we're going to take this idea. We want to mash this onto it as well. And how can we do that in a way that's compelling and it works. And I, I, I just think that that is a testament to uh, the director and the cast of really understanding the assignment that they were going for. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, not, it's not, you're good. go ahead. Um, like it, it's not just let's, oh, let's do a a movie or a story in the genre and make a statement about the genre and try to do the genre better. It's let's make this specific story better with these characters in these parts. Obviously they're, you know, they're, they're modern version of it, but Mm -hmm. it feel, everything feels not to a point of like Wes Anderson or anything. But everything feels so specific and so shaped in yep. in the world, in the movie. All all of the all of the things together just it just melts together so well as as a version of that story. It just doesn't it like you're saying, it doesn't try to overstep and it yeah. seems so simple, but it especially in something that is so overdone as murder mysteries. It's so easy mm-hmm. to do. Well, and what's great about it too is like you can tell James Mangold is a director that wants to do character pieces. Mm-hmm. And some of his best work is Logan, uh, 310 to Yuma, Walk the Line, Ford versus Ferrari, which are at their heart, all of those are character pieces first. And then they add on if they have any action sequences or anything like that, that's bonus beyond there. But his big thing is girl interrupted Copland. Kate and Leopold is one that he did, which is, you know, kind of a romantic comedy, but also character study. And that's, I think what makes this work is it was about the characters inside of it first. And they're what's important. 
and then we'll we'll add what we need to on that. So they create the atmosphere around that, and they don't make something like the shootout could have been could have taken a long time, could have been like a big you know big drawn out thing, and the and the the um, electrical wire play into it and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't do that. They were just like it's like 30 seconds of a few shots and it's over because the shootout itself isn't what's important. What's important is the reasoning behind it and the characters involved in it. And that's the way Ed was going to do that. It's he's, he's like, he just starts walking towards him and he gets shot. However many times, like two or three times and he never stops because that's what he needs to do. So I just really, that's what I like about Mangold is he really treats his characters well. So yeah, I mean that's I'm I'm so glad that you you agreed to talk to me about this one because I have been just like vibrating with energy of wanting to talk about this movie for so long, and I'm really glad that you enjoyed it too. Because um, there's always you I'm know, glad you assigned it to me. It, it it was it was it was fantastic. It was great. Yeah, was great. I mean there's there's always a little worry when when a movie is this when I'm this close to a movie. And I show it to somebody mm-hmm. like I want them to oh, like it, but I also know, look, not everybody's going to like the same thing I do, mm-hmm. but it's great when you can. And like you took a lot of things from it that I do, but you also saw some things differently, which is yeah. always a cool thing. Like that's what makes a conversation like this fun is that right. we're going to come at it from different angles in some parts and some parts we're going to mesh. And and it's a lot. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to have that. So. Thank you so much for for watching this and coming on and talking with me about it. It was great fun. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for the uh, invitation. Now, uh, where can people find you or things that you work on or or anything like that? Okay. um, I am most active on threads at Extra Lettuce. I'm pretty much at Extra Lettuce just about anywhere except TikTok. Um, Okay. But uh, uh, primarily, I'm... Also, like, a, um, also a channel artist, you can, uh, I don't have a store on my site, but you can see examples of my work and contact me there or through Instagram or wherever um, at extralettuce.com. Excellent. Extralettuce.com. Go check that out. And the chainmail stuff you, you do is really cool looking, by the way. Oh, thank you. Say. Thank you very much. Um, I, I love to when you get the contrast going on in there. I know you had one recently where it was a lot of blues and there was one that had some bronze right. in there and that yeah. bronze popped so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Inside it, of like, that. like it's, it's the same bracelet. I just changed one element of it, but the mm-hmm. bronze changes so much that it, it almost looks like a completely different thing. Yeah, it kind of does, which is yeah. really cool. So definitely check that out. Extra lettuce.com. Uh, and you, that's where you will find Jonathan's work, uh, all that chain mail stuff. Now this show, I do record live, uh, 8 PM Eastern time on Sunday nights at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. You can come hang out in the live chat room. Uh, and then it does come out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, uh, podcast alley, podcast addict. Um, it's all over those. And of course, YouTube as well. Uh, you can see a video version of it there. And, uh, and I really do appreciate you listening to the show. Um, if you do and, uh, spreading it word of mouth subscription on, on YouTube is always helpful as well. Um, cause it does help that channel become more noticed, uh, by the algorithm. So subscriptions there on YouTube at TV's Travis uh, is great. And I'm on all the socials as TV's Travis love to chat with people, 
talk uh, movies. Um, I'm a big Highlander fan, and the Highlander remake is is slowly moving forward. So I'm excited about that. Um, or if it's just about anything, really. I mean, any kind of movie stuff. Give me your hot takes. I'm doing a 30-day movie challenge, which I'm missing days here and there, but I'm keeping up with it uh, as much as I can as far as just kind of movies that mean something to me. So um, you can see those on on all the different social media networks as well. Um, but Jonathan, thank you so much for being uh, being here this week. And we'll definitely have to do this again. We'll find another movie. Maybe uh, maybe next time we'll find something that uh, is real close to you and, uh, and awesome. I can see it for yeah. the first time. Yeah, that'd be great. And, and again, thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Very much so. Uh, same for me. It's been, it's been great fun and uh, we'll definitely do it again. Now, next week, um, I'm going to be going back a little ways and we're going to be talking about Alfred Hitchcock. Um, my, uh, my guest has never seen, uh, most of Hitchcock's movies and, uh, Jeannie's been on before, um, a while back when we talked about her first time seeing the little mermaid uh, of all movies. Uh, but we're going to go for another thriller. We're going to watch rear window, which I'm excited about. Um, cause there's a, there's a lot to that movie and there's been a couple of remakes of it and I can't wait. So that's next week. Uh, rear window is going to be our movie from Alfred Hitchcock. So if you're into, into that, you want to come back and check that out. And, uh, also check out the archives, all 240, now three episodes of the show you can go back and, and listen to. Uh, but until next time, just remember to enjoy your movies. And uh, look, the world's crazy out there, so let's be excellent to each other. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>